Beyond TV would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of all the lands from which our listeners join us. The Beyond TV team are privileged to live and work in Mianjin on Turrbal and Yugara country. We pay our deepest respects to the traditional custodians of these lands and to all elders. We also pay our respects to all First Nations women and children who have been impacted by domestic and family violence. Welcome to Stories Beyond DV. My name is Carolyn Robinson, and I am the founder and managing director of Beyond DV. Beyond DV is an organisation that supports women and children as they rebuild their lives from domestic and family violence. During this podcast series, we will be speaking with six incredible survivor advocates, each with their own story of recovery. In each episode, we'll be calling on an expert to give us some information about each topic we cover. In this episode, we'll be discussing recovering from extreme control. We know that coercive control can be a significant feature of abusive relationships. And today, I will be speaking with our survivor advocate, Sophie, who has an incredible story to share. Hi, Sophie. Thank you so much for joining us today. You experienced extreme coercive control in your abusive relationship. Can you share some of your experience with us? I sure can. Just a few of my examples of uh, coercive control for me. It basically started with isolating me from my family and my friends. So right at the beginning of our relationship, I moved in with him, uh, moved to a different town away from my family and my friends and everything that I'd basically known. And we were only allowed to spend time with his family and his friends and he, he didn't let me or he didn't like spending time with my family and my friends. He didn't like how close I was with all of them, especially my mom and I. No one was even allowed to come and visit me or I wasn't allowed to go and visit them. So, And if I wanted someone to come and visit me, I had to check with him in advance and it had to be okayed by him um, if they were allowed to come and visit me. He would even drive me to and pick me up from work which at the start I thought was really sweet and kind, you know, my boyfriend wanting to pick me up and take me to work. But then it started him coming up to the ward that I worked on at the hospital and waiting for me to finish. And if I hadn't finished right on time, he would start getting frustrated or angry with me. But as you know, nurses don't look exactly finish on time every day. <laughs> so it just started to escalate from there. He started telling me which uniform I was allowed to wear to work. So I used to like to wear the skirts and the dresses. And at the start of our relationship, that was okay. But as we got into it, he would only allow me to wear my shorts or my pants to work because if I wore a skirt or my dress, according to him, it was easy access for the people that he accused me of being intimate with. I also wasn't allowed to wear perfume or makeup to work because I didn't need to look good and I didn't need to smell nice to go to work. And in his eyes, if I did smell nice or wear makeup, it was to show off to people. There was somebody at work that I wanted to look good for or I wanted to smell nice for. So therefore he took my makeup away and he took my perfume away. 
Uh, he started taking my bank card as well when I was asleep. So I used to do a lot of night shifts. So I'd come home from work in the mornings and obviously have a shower and go to bed to sleep for the day to do another night shift that night. And it wasn't for a very long time until I realised that he was taking my bank card and spending my money on alcohol or drugs or cigarettes without my knowledge. So I'd put fuel in the car or I'd go to the grocery store and they'd all get scanned through and my card would decline and I'd just have to stand there like a stunned mullet because <laughs> I had no money to pay for what I what I'd just put into my car so or my shopping trolley. So that caused a lot of issues quite often. <laughs> Financially, he even cut into my money box. So when I first got my first job when I was in grade eight, <laughs> I got a, one of those big money boxes that you can't open unless you go to the bank or cut it open, obviously. And I'd just been putting some money away every week from my pay. That was going to be like my house fund, you know. Again, it wasn't until the end of our relationship that I realised that he had actually cut into the back of my money box and had taken all the cash out of it and then turned the money box against the wall so that I couldn't see the cut. And he knew that I didn't pick it up. I would just put my money in it and, you know, tap it on top and... You know, that was how I put money in. I didn't move it anywhere. And it wasn't until I wanted to count the money and take it to the bank and, you know, get it all taken out. I picked it up and all the coins fell out the back and there was no cash in it. So that was really, really difficult for me. And I tried to confront him about it, but that didn't exactly go very well. Um, He'd also take my phone all the time with or without my knowledge. So if I ever got a phone call or a text message, he would just grab my phone before I could even answer the call or read the text message so that he could read it before I got to it. And again, it wasn't until the relationship was finished that I found out that he was actually going in and deleting messages and missed calls from my friends and my family, which was adding more to the fact that I didn't think my family and friends cared about me or I w- like they wanted to know how I was going or how life was going. I just, I just didn't think that they cared about me because he was deleting all of these things before I found out about them. And another not so common way of controlling me was that he knew that ever since I was a kid, I wanted to become a mother. I've always been very maternal. I've always loved playing with kids. I've always enjoyed that kind of stuff. And another way of him trapping me in to being with him, I suppose you could say forever, uh, was that he would take my birth control and he would flush it down the toilet so that in the hopes, I suppose, that I would get pregnant and that way I'd have to stay with him until the, at least until the baby was 18. But, um, yeah, that was a hard one to deal with. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that with us. How do you think that this level of control can impact a woman's capacity to leave an abusive relationship. When you're in this kind of relationship, the perpetrators just, they get into your head, into every nook and cranny of your brain to make you think that your friends and your family or people that normally care about you just don't care about you anymore. Like the example I said, they go in and they delete almost every aspect of those people from your life and they make you think that if you leave them, you're going to have nothing. You're going to be worthless. So yeah, they really just impact how much confidence you have in yourself. They just make you feel like you have no self-worth and they just make you think that you're not clever enough or you're not smart enough to make your own decisions and 
they really just want to control every aspect of your life. So with all of that happening in your life, how does that actually influence whether or not you feel you can leave? It definitely makes trying to leave that much harder. They just make you think that people won't believe you and if you ask for help, people, yeah, people won't believe the things that you're telling them so therefore you're going to stay with them because it's too hard. It's, it's, yeah, it's just too difficult to get out of it. And I guess with that too, often there's, you know, if you're reliant on them financially and, you know, they've got control of of those types of things too that it makes it hard to leave as well. Yeah, if they've got control of your finances, you can't put fuel in the car, you can't pay rent, you can't pay your bills. Um, So you've kind of, you're reliant on them even though you didn't know you were reliant on them because they've I suppose, been controlling that whole aspect of your life for such a period of time, you just kind of get into this, I guess. I think you kind of start to feel that your life is just your normal and people on the outside can see that it's not normal. but because you're in it, you can't see how, how bad it is, I suppose. New laws are going to be introduced in Queensland, making coercive control a criminal offence. Do you think that this is going to make it easier for women to leave an abusive, controlling relationship? I definitely think the new laws will help someone in that kind of situation leave, as the criminalisation or even the inclusion of certain aspects of coercive control, such as stalking or intimidation, or the fact that these acts have been occurring for potentially the whole relationship, that like they all build up. Coercive control is not just one moment or one act. It, it is a, a series of, of events that have occurred over a period of time. So I think with these particular laws coming in place, that includes those type of acts, I suppose, that the perpetrators are doing. And the abusers need to be called out on their actions, especially like with DVOs and that kind of stuff. The stalking intimidation, they should make them so much easier for the people who are getting abused to actually access those types of, I guess, safety nets that are out there that are so difficult sometimes for people to get. But with these new laws, it's going to hopefully make it a lot easier for them to be safe and to leave safely. Yes, and that's always the key, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, We know that when a person exits an abusive relationship, particularly one where there has been a very strong element of control, that's the most dangerous time for them. Yeah, and as we all know, it usually takes a woman at least seven times to before she actually leaves a relationship for good because they try to leave, but then the um, abuser just becomes so manipulative and, and just draws them back in and love bombs them again. And it's just the cycle of, of domestic violence, really, isn't it? It just drags them back in again. And until that seventh time that has been proven, they finally go, I can't do this anymore. And then that's when the help and everything all steps into place properly. <laughs> yes, and hopefully then with with new laws coming in, that will assist them yeah, to be able to stay out very once much they've so, exited. Very much so. Your abusive relationship ended when your perpetrator grabbed the wheel of your car and drove you into oncoming traffic and you ended up in hospital Uh, having to rehabilitate for several months. 
How have you now recovered from domestic and family violence? I've recovered pretty well after what I went through, from my physical injuries anyway, because I had quite a few physical injuries. So I've been able to go back to working as a nurse and a support worker now, albeit I do have restrictions on what I can do and how long I can work for and stuff like that. Um, I've definitely gained my independence back, whether that be financially, physically, anything like that. Like I own my own home now. Um, I can drive my car again, so I don't have to rely on people driving me anywhere. My confidence and self-worth as well has also just skyrocketed. I think in knowing what I went through now, knowing that there is still people out there going through that, me speaking about what happened to me, is able to help them. And when that happens, that just makes me feel so confident in myself and it gives me the extra boost to to talk about what happened to me and to break that stigma because it needs to be spoken about. It needs to be brought up in conversations and not a taboo subject anymore. I can guarantee you'll know someone who has been or is going through some type of domestic violence. So the fact that I can talk about it just makes me feel so like I said, confident in myself because it's helping people. And that's what I've always wanted to do in my life is to help people. It's just a different avenue, I suppose, of of my nursing background, I suppose. So Sophie, what does your life look like now? My life now is pretty great, to be honest. After what happened to me, so many doors have opened and I've been able to go down so many avenues that I never thought would be possible. I've met so many incredible women and men who have such a passion for this kind of work and just they have this passion to help people going through most likely something that one of their loved ones has gone through as well and they've they've firsthand seen the effects of domestic and family violence so they just want to see the change that can happen and needs to happen in this space um, at the moment so I started going to uh, Beyond DV several years ago now and I went through their programs and I did a survivor advocacy program and in that in itself has opened up so many doors in the past year for me in regards to advocacy and standing up for uh, domestic and family violence prevention and I quite often do talks at the police academy to new recruits and teach them about domestic violence from a victim's perspective and how the police can help when they go to a DV case, what they can do better to the person who is being abused. Um, And I also have been on quite a few different panels around different discussions of domestic and family violence. I've also been a part of an app that Beyond DV created in regards to healthy relationships for teens. The app that we created is actually called Love and Learn and it's a cute little app that doesn't quite look like what it actually is. Um, So it can be discreet. You go in there, it's got a couple of quizzes that you can do. It asks you what you know about domestic and family violence. It's got a few videos in there and it asks you if you think that video is a healthy or an unhealthy relationship and it gives you advice as to whether or not you got the answer correct or not. Um, It's got a bunch of different survivor and advocate stories on there. It's got a bunch of helpful resources on there. It's just a really good tool for young people just to know what a proper relationship, a good relationship is like. 
And with that, we have been to different schools and we speak about the app and just uh, make young people aware of different red flags and even green flags in different relationships so that they know what to look out for. And even um, if their friends are going through something that they think is not quite right, who they can talk to about that and how they can get help for their friend and how they can plant those little seeds in their friend's mind that that relationship isn't quite right. Um, So it's really good for me and it makes me feel really humble knowing that I can help young people like me so that they don't have to go through what me and my family went through. And Sophie, what advice could you give to other women who find themselves struggling to regain control of their lives after domestic and family violence? I think everything I'm going to say is a lot easier said than done, but just try as much as you can to be open to receive help. People out there want to help you and that's what they're there for. That's what their job is. It's to help you be safe. It's to help you get away from your abuser. It's to help you regain your life, basically, and uh, your confidence and your self-worth. And I feel like the biggest thing would just be accept the help. And I think too, just, just know that you're not alone in this whole situation. There are people out there who have been through basically the same thing as what you're going through. So they know how hard it is. They know how emotional it is. They know how isolating it is because you think that nobody else out there knows what you're going through. But I can guarantee you there are people out there who understand every emotion that you're going through. And if you get the opportunity to come to organisations like Beyond DV, jump at the opportunity. You get to come into a group of women who, like myself, have been through what you're most likely going through or there's also women who are still going through what you're going through. So we're all here to support each other through all the documentation, all the court, all the interviews, all the the drama, I suppose, that comes along with domestic and family violence that doesn't quite often actually get talked about. We're all here to support you during that because we've been through it. We know what it's like. We don't want you to do it alone because that makes it so much more harder is being alone and you're not alone. We're all here to help you. And I think for friends and family, if they have any issues or doubts or if they can see that their loved one is changing from what they normally are like, maybe just reach out to them and have a bit of a chat or just ask some questions. Are they okay? What's happening? I've noticed that you're not doing something that you normally do. Are you okay? Is there anything I can help with? Because that person might not necessarily be ignoring you. They may actually not be allowed to talk to you or they may not be allowed to wear that perfume or wear makeup or wear that style of dress anymore. Like in my case, just maybe their messages or their phone calls or your emails are being deleted. So they're not ignoring you. They just don't know that you're trying to contact them. would now like to introduce Sue Clark, who is the founder of Small Steps for Hannah. Sue's had the most intimate experience with coercive control, and she will share her experience and her thoughts with us. We were personally impacted by coercive control through our daughter, 
being coercively controlled by her partner, which then also flowed on to my husband and myself and even our son being coercively controlled by him, having to not comment, sit back and just watch what went on and we couldn't protect our daughter because that would mean losing our daughter and our grandchildren. Coercive control is hard to identify because it's a pattern of behaviours that builds up slowly. You listen to one thing that's done like uh, controlling what a person can or can't wear. You can explain that away at times, but when you have many little things like controlling your finances, going through your purse or your phone or your emails, controlling who you can and cannot speak with, that sort of thing, when you add them all together, it shows this pattern of behaviour and that's when we can understand and see that it's coercive control. I think the best way to raise awareness in the community is through conversations and through education and education being everyone from judges, police, first responders to the person next door. Every one of us needs education to understand what coercive control is and have that conversation. Talk to your friends, check if their relationships are okay. And if you hear someone speaking derogatory about someone or treating their partner terribly, speak up. Speak up and say that this isn't right, it's not cool. I'd like to see it curbed. I don't think coercive control will be totally wiped out as much as I would love it to be, but I'd like people to be aware of what it is so that the incidences of coercive control are so much less. I think if they know there's consequences for coercive control, it may just be a deterrent. But if they understand that there could be a jail sentence from coercive control, hopefully this will start to stamp it out. Thank you for listening to Stories Beyond DV. And thank you to our guests, our survivor advocate, Sophie, and our expert, Sue Clark. On our next episode, we'll be talking about recovering from social isolation. We hope you can tune in. If you are being impacted by domestic and family violence, or you know someone else who is, please don't hesitate to reach out for help, either by calling 000 if you are in immediate danger, or the National Domestic Violence Helpline at 1800 RESPECT. You can find out more information about the programs and services we offer for victim survivors of domestic and family violence on our website, beyonddv.org.au. Please follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode and share with a friend. It really helps to spread the word. You never know who might need to hear this. Stories Beyond DV was made possible with support from the Zonta Club of Brisbane. This series was produced and sound designed by Tiffany Dimack. I'm Carolyn. Take care and I look forward to talking to you next time.